Let's start tonight in John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about uh, uh, him going to the cross. This is the night that he's betrayed just before the, uh, they have the Passover feast together. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and John, who was the last of the gospel writers uh, and who wrote this when he was probably in his mid-90s, some 60 years after, 60, maybe 65 years after Jesus has been uh, raised from the dead. The other three gospels are well known and well circulated at the time that John wrote his. And it's almost like he fills in the blanks in some respect for us. He, uh, he gives us information that the other gospel writers don't give us. A lot of the stories that are in the gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are independent accounts or confirming accounts of some of the same events. John, not so much. John gives us uh, more of a standalone gospel that uh, that seems to be designed, when you read it through, it seems to be designed to tell us what, what the other gospel writers didn't uh, reveal to us in their accounts. And so Jesus, on the last night that he's with his disciples, and, and, and I think this is significant as well. Forgive me for taking a few moments to, to point this out. But John was an eyewitness he was present at that Passover feast, that last, what we know of as the Last Supper. And as such, the things that John seems to be impressed upon by the Holy Spirit to recount of that time together in that event is, uh, is unique information. As I said, he's an eyewitness uh, account, provides an eyewitness account of the things that Jesus said and he goes into a great deal of detail about what Jesus said about doing the works that he did, carrying on his works in the earth, and, uh, and using the name of Jesus, and also the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer under the church age. So, uh, with that having been said, uh, we'll start in verse 8. Of John chapter 14, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. It will satisfy us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? The Bible says, First John chapter 3 and verse 8, the last part of the verse, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word manifested means to make visible or to appear, and it's translated that way in, in other translations. Uh, one translation says it this way, For this purpose the Son of God came to the earth to destroy the works of the devil. You'll also remember in John chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus said that, uh, well, let me, let me read it rather than just try to quote around it. John chapter 5 and verse 19. We're coming back to John 14, so don't lose your place there. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Jesus was very upfront and open and direct about saying, The things that you see happening through me, it's not me doing it. Now, we spent some time this morning, if you were here, um, you may recall that, that we spent a little bit of time talking about what that means. That means Jesus didn't heal the sick and he didn't do miracles and and wonders and signs and different things like that because he was the son of God. 
if Jesus had done those things, if he had healed the sick and performed miracles because he was the son of God, then he would have been lying when he said, here in John chapter 5 and verse 19, the son can do nothing of himself. But it seems to me that most of the church world thinks that that's how Jesus did the miracles and the healings because he was the son of God. And as such, they, the modern day church, attaches some uh, distinction or makes a distinction between Jesus being the son of God and us being born again even though the Bible says we've been made joint heirs. What I'm trying to say is the church makes excuses for the same works and the same healings and the same things that Jesus did not taking place today because he was in a different class than we are. But again, Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself. He's saying I'm not doing these things because I'm the son of God. Now that has to be true because we know that Jesus was the son of God from the times he was born of the Virgin Mary. Just for the sake of uh, trying to make the point, he was just as much the son of God at age 25 as he was at age 30. Why did the healings and the miracles not happen until he was 30? If he's the son of God and the, being the son of God gave him the power to do healings and miracle works, why didn't he do them before age 30? There has to be a reason. Well, the Bible says that when he began to be about 30 years of age, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in bodily shape as a dove. Then Jesus, in the very beginning of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, tells us that he found the place where it was written in the book of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor and to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said, this is talking about me. So Jesus is attributing the healings and the works and the things that he did. The story goes on. I guess I should say this. I guess I should uh, complete the, the thought. It says that Jesus spoke to the people in Nazareth where he had, was preaching in Luke chapter 4 and said, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, the same works that we heard that you did in Capernaum. So he's already been in Capernaum and done healing works. The same works you did there do here also. But they wouldn't believe. And the Bible tells us that he could there do no mighty work. Not that he wouldn't. Not that he was unwilling to. He just preached to him and said that I'm anointed for this purpose. But they wouldn't accept it and they wouldn't receive it. And so he wasn't able to do any healing works. Well now... Stop and think about that for a minute. Was Jesus not the son of God in Nazareth? If he's doing healing works in Nazareth, you know in, in your own hometown, that's where you want to make good if, if nowhere else. So why didn't he do the works in Nazareth? If he's doing them because he's the son of God, then he's the son of God everywhere he goes. But he didn't, and the Bible even says that he couldn't. Well, how was Jesus able to do the works in Capernaum? Because they received the preaching that he did, the same preaching, the same teaching, the same thoughts that he brought out in Nazareth. He must have brought out in Capernaum, and they believed it where Nazareth didn't. Well, what was it that he taught them? That he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that Jesus emptied himself. He couldn't have emptied himself of being the Son of God 
So what did he empty himself of? His heavenly power and glory. He came to the earth as a man. That's why he had to be anointed of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know I've been talking about this a lot lately, and forgive me if, I, if you've heard it enough and you've already got the point, but it's such a critical issue because if Jesus healed because he was the divine son of God come to the earth, then that is different than us. I'm not the divine son of God come to the earth, are you? But if that was the source of his power and the reason that he did the things that he did, then how in the world could Jesus tell the church that we'll do the same works that he did? But if, on the other hand, he's healing not because he's the son of God, but because he's anointed of the Holy Ghost, and he informs the church that the same anointing that's upon him will come upon us too, then it would make perfect sense why he would say and could say that the same works that he did will do also. So Jesus is saying, the son can of himself do nothing. I'm back to quoting John five nineteen. But whatsoever he seeth the father do. In other words, he's saying, I'm not doing this because I'm the son of God. I'm doing this because of how God is. Because I'm aware of God's character. I'm aware of his nature. I'm aware of his will. Well, how did he know? There's only two ways you can see God. One is through the word. And the other is by revelation of the Holy Ghost. Or we might say it this way, by the leading of the inward witness. Leading of the Spirit of God primarily by the inward witness. So he's talking about representing the Father. He's talking about representing through his life and through the works that he did here on the earth, representing God in such a way that we know what God is like. We know who God is and what he'll do. Back to John chapter 14. He said, have I long, been so long time with you, Philip, and you've not yet known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how then sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Now here he's saying it again. He's saying I'm not, as the Son of God, originating the words that I'm pre preaching and teaching the people. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't have anything to say. It meant that he was allowing the Holy Ghost to give him direction in his earthly ministry. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now, how did God dwell in him? He can't be talking about being the son of God because he was the son of God before he ever did any miracles. So if he's talking about the father dwelling in him, he's got to be talking about the anointing of the Holy Ghost that came upon him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Everybody understand that? That's such a critical issue. It unlocks one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 11 and says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. He's saying the works themselves are proof that God the Father is in me. I wonder if God's changed his attitude and his opinion about that where the church is concerned. How's the world supposed to know that the Father is in the church? 
Is that supposed to be in a different manner or a different way than what Jesus revealed? Jesus said, believe in me, believe that the Father is in me and I'm in him because of the works. No wonder Jesus wanted the church to do the same works. So what he's saying is everything that he said and everything that he did was a reflection of the Father. Not of himself, not originating in and of himself as the Son of God. But by the work of the Holy Ghost that indwelled him and empowered him. Now think about what that means. That means the love that Jesus showed is the love of the Father. That means that the patience Jesus demonstrated here on the earth is the patience of God. That means every character trait and every attribute that Jesus shows us and Jesus set an example for us to to demonstrate in our own lives was as a part of revealing the Father. And in the same way, every healing... Every miracle, every little thing, everything from the littlest to the greatest was a reflection of who God is and what God does. Are you with me? Everything. Now, I want you to see some things in that regard. I want you to look with me to a couple of verses of Scripture. Look with me to Matthew chapter 9. Because everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did is a reflection of who God is and how he operates. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Why? Because that's how God is. Now, some translations say every manner of sickness and disease... And I think that's appropriate because there were people in Jesus' ministry that didn't get healed. For example, in John chapter 5, it tells us how that at the pool of Bethesda, there were five porches full of sick folks. Some were crippled. Some were um, infirmed in a different way. And only one person out of those five porches full, and I don't know how many that is. It sounds like it's a crowd, but I don't know how big to estimate the crowd at. But however many people there were that were there, Only one person was healed. Now in that event, at that time, it was a little bit different situation because Jesus wasn't ministering. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't telling people about the things of God. He just went where they were waiting for the water to be troubled, for the angel to come down and stir the water up. And the first one that got in after the angel stirred the water up got his healing. Well, in fact, Jesus stirred the waters. He showed that healing was not by angels anymore, but it was by him. And so that was a, that was a unique situation. No faith required on the part of the individual. It was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. But the reason for that was it had to fall into the same category because that's the way God is. Jesus is revealing the way God is. And there are times, rare though they may be, there are times when God will initiate healing on his own just to show his goodness and his willingness to destroy the works of the devil. So if we take this in a literal sense, Jesus went about all their cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching in their synagogues and healing every every sickness and every disease. That wouldn't fit for John chapter 9 or John chapter 5, excuse me. 
But if we understand that it means every kind of sickness and every kind of disease, then that fits. Now, why would God provide healing for every kind of sickness and every kind of disease? Well, he, Jesus said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. It's because that's how God is. There's no sickness and no disease left out. And I know that the devil will come and attack us sometimes by saying, well, yours is a different situation. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and say, said, well, the doctors diagnosed me with some rare disease. Like rare is supposed to disqualify the power of God from doing something about it. Jesus went about healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. Didn't leave a one out. Now in Nazareth, as we talked about before, the people wouldn't receive what Jesus taught. And so he wasn't able to heal there. At least nothing major. He didn't have any great healing miracles. There weren't any blind eyes open or deaf ears opened or cripples that were healed in Nazareth. The only thing he was able to do is get a few folks with minor ailments, maybe colds or headaches or something like that. I don't know. But minor ailments at least. And he got them healed by laying hands on. But that's all he was able to do. But God still provided, through the example of Jesus, provided for healing for every manner of sickness, every kind of sickness, every type of sickness, and every type of disease. Look with me now to another verse of Scripture over in Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him, speaking of Jesus, many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Now, in this case, we understand this to be a literal operation because it's talking about specifically here in Capernaum. Jesus healed all that were sick. Now, why did Jesus heal all that were sick? Well, he said that he did it because that's the way God is. He that has seen me has seen the Father. He healed all that were sick. Notice verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, that's talking about Isaiah 53, verse, verse 4, which speaks of the work of the Messiah. Now, it's important for us to realize that when the Bible tells us that there was an example given, an example shown, we know Jesus said that he didn't do the works by himself or of himself, but because that's the way God is. The Bible tells us why God is the way that it is. Because the Messiah, the one that will pay the ultimate price, to destroy the works of the devil in our lives, spiritually as well as physically, in order for the Messiah scriptures to be fulfilled, God had to heal all that were sick. See, if the Bible didn't tell us that Jesus healed all that were sick and then told us that it was connected with the fulfillment of uh, Isaiah 53, then the devil would have a legitimate ground to bring a doubt to your mind and to question is it God's will to heal everybody? But the church struggles over that anyway. 
the church world, the modern day church, struggles over whether it's God's will to heal everybody. And the Bible answers the question. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Healing of all that were sick was necessary to fulfill the prophecy of what the Messiah would do. So you got in Matthew 9 that Jesus healed every kind of sickness and disease. You've got in Matthew 8 that Jesus healed every one that was sick in this place in Capernaum, the city of Capernaum. And God, by the Holy Ghost, inspires Matthew to tell us that that was the fulfillment of of Isaiah 53. One last one I want you to see is over in Mark chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's not, I'm ahead of myself. It's in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Jesus has sent out the disciples and they return and tell him all the things that he did, that they did in fulfilling the, the works that he sent them to do. But notice verse 11, it says, in the people, when they knew it, talking about how that he took the disciples away in a desert place near Bethsaida and the people when they knew it followed him and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing and healed them that had need of healing now it's interesting to notice that in this case particularly it connects the preaching or and or the teaching about the kingdom of God We know that Jesus defined the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. So Jesus is speaking to them, teaching them, preaching to them, communicating with them in whatever form about God's will for them here on the earth and then healed them that had need of healing. In other words, he built faith in their hearts by telling them what God's will was. Notice he didn't tell him what his will was. Because Jesus wasn't here on the earth to do his will. He was here to do the will of the Father. So again, he's revealing what God is like and what God does. Well, what's God like? He provides healing for everyone that has need of it. Everyone that has need of it. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, it's almost like God knew what the problems with the modern day church would have with the word of God because he gives us answers to questions before they were ever asked. Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 40 and it said, and there came a leper to him, to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, Matthew gives us an account of this same event in Matthew chapter 8, the first couple of verses of the chapter. And it says that a leper came to him and worshipped him and said, Good master, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. Now, notice what he knew and notice what he didn't know. He knew that Jesus was operating under the power of God to provide healing to those that he willed to heal. Now the guy, meaning the leper, 
He doesn't have perfect knowledge. He apparently doesn't know why Jesus is healing. Maybe he doesn't care. But he does know that Jesus is healing the sick. Apparently he has enough information, he's heard enough about Jesus to know that Jesus is healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. Because he doesn't come to Jesus and say, you know, I know you heal some, some types of disease, but what about leprosy? Do you have enough power to heal leprosy? He already knows that. That question's already been answered. So he comes to Jesus and he says, good master, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Now, folks, I would submit to you that this is the number one question that the church, the modern day church has about healing. You're not going to find a Christian anywhere that would admit to believing that God might not have the ability or the power to heal any or every sickness. Because they know the Bible says that with God all things are possible. They know the Bible talks about God's unlimited power. So nobody in the church world questions God's power to heal. Well, then what's the question that they have? Is it God's will to heal everybody? That's what this guy's asking. He says, I know you can heal me. I know that you've been empowered to heal every sickness and disease. I know that you have the power to heal the leprosy that has attached itself to my body. We don't know how long he's been a leper. We don't know what the, how devastating the effects of the leprosy is or has been. He has one and only one question, and that is, are you willing? Are you willing? F.F. Bosworth said many years ago, faith begins where the will of God is known. You can't have faith for something that you don't know is God's will. So this man is not in faith. He wants to be in faith. He's searching for faith. But he's not there. Now he's in faith concerning God's ability. Or Jesus' ability to heal. But it's impossible for him to be in faith concerning God's will to heal. Because he doesn't know whether Jesus wills it or not. Now apparently he thinks Jesus is, is healing according to what he wants to do. And I guess you'd have to be in the inner circle of the disciples to know otherwise at this point in time. Which this leper is not. So he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now notice what the Bible says here. Matthew chapter 8 tells us that Jesus said, stretched forth his hand and said, I will. Luke's account says immediately he stretched forth his hand and said, I will. But I like Mark's because it tells us why he did it. Matthew tells us what he did. Luke tells us how quickly he did it. But Matthew tells us why he did it. And Jesus moved with compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Now remember Jesus said, he that's seen me has seen the father. We talked about what that means. 
That means every characteristic, every attribute concerning love or any of the other fruit of the Spirit, characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit, I mean. Jesus demonstrated because that's the way God is. Well, then if Jesus was moved with compassion, that means that has to be because that's the way God is. Now, what did it mean when it says Jesus was moved with compassion? Well, I interpret that to mean that he felt for the man's situation. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you understand that's what that means? Jesus felt for this guy because he's in the situation that he's in. Now, notice it doesn't say that Jesus questioned him about why he was in this condition. He doesn't ask him how long. He doesn't ask him now, are there any uh, effects of this leprosy that are beyond what I can see that are not exposed and hidden behind your clothing or anything like that? I mean, you know, if it's a real advanced case, then maybe this should be handled differently. Nothing like that. He didn't ask him if he was a good Jew. He didn't ask him if he kept the law of Moses. He didn't ask him if he was current on his sacrifices or if he paid his tithes. Jesus was moved with compassion because that's the way God is. The Bible says in Hebrews that we have a faithful high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus felt for this man because of the condition he was in. Now, is this the worst case of leprosy Jesus ever saw? I don't believe it was. You remember the story of the ten lepers that cried out to Jesus from afar? Good master, have mercy on us. Jesus called back to him and said, go show yourself to the priest. Well, what that signified was under the law of Moses... If a leper was cleansed or claimed to be cleansed, healed from his leprosy, in other words, he had to present himself to the priest for examination. You could well understand why this was the case because leprosy was such a highly contagious disease. It'd be real easy for somebody whose leprosy was not visible but was hidden under clothing to say, well, I used to have leprosy, but I don't anymore. And then could possibly infect other people with the leprosy just because he didn't want to be treated as an outcast. And so to guard against that, there was a provision in the law of Moses that if a leper was cleansed, he had to present himself to the priest to be examined head to toe to confirm and ensure that the leprosy was indeed gone. So when Jesus calls out to them from afar and says, go show yourself to the priest, they understand what that means. They understand that that means that Jesus has told them, you're healed. And then the Bible says that as they went, their healing manifested itself. So when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests, nothing had changed in their bodies yet. But they took Jesus at his word and started making their way to the priests. And on the way, they were healed. They were healed as they went, the scripture says. Now, one of the guys turns back. Gives up on the going to show himself to the priest, at least initially. Comes back and falls down before Jesus and worships him. 
And Jesus questions, and questions him and says, where are the other nine? Weren't there ten that were cleansed? Yet only one came back to worship Jesus for what he had done. Now Jesus said something to this leper that, was, that I believe is significant. He said, go your way, your faith has made you whole. It indicates to me that you can interpret this however you want to, but I think it's at least worth considering. It seems to me that Jesus is telling this one something different from the other nine because of his willingness to glorify God for the work that he's done. Well, what did he tell him? He said, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Well, the man had been healed before he ever came back. So he can't be talking about healing. So what does he mean when he says your faith has made you whole? It's certainly possible. I believe probable. But it's certainly possible that because of the nature of leprosy that eats away body parts. That whatever body parts had been eaten away were restored to to normal and just like new. I don't know anything else that could have happened that would have distinguished this man's willingness to worship God and, and a special reward for that which Jesus seems to be implying well we don't have any information that this guy in Mark chapter 1 has a worse case of leprosy than, than the one of the ten that came back and was made whole be that as it may I doubt that it would have mattered because Jesus didn't concern himself with those things See, these are all points that the devil tries to raise with us to disqualify us in our own thinking from receiving from him, him being God. Jesus was moved with compassion and said, I will be thou clean. Finally, turn with me over to Psalm chapter 4. 145. Remember Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Well, we saw what the Father did with the leper who didn't know if it was the will of God for him to be healed. Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand because he was moved with compassion and cleansed him of his leprosy. Psalm 145, verse 8, says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now, we just saw what that means over in Mark chapter 1. Jesus was moved with compassion and provided the man what he needed, the healing that he needed for his body. Notice the Bible says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now, we can argue about who it's talking about when it means the Lord. If it's talking about Jesus, then we know that it's because that's the way God is because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Or if it's speaking of the Lord as being the Father God, well, that would fit too. I believe both ways fit. But notice again the phrase that he's full of compassion. If something is full, that means there's no room for anything else, doesn't it? That means there's no empty space. Full means filled to the top. 
completely full. That's what it says about God when it comes to compassion. That's what it says about your heavenly father and Jesus, your savior. Jesus, your healer. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to a few lucky ones. The Lord is good to all. Now remember what Jesus said or what it says of Jesus in Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Who went about doing good and healing how many? All that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Well the definition of good didn't change from Psalm 145 to Acts chapter 10 did it? Where it says here the Lord is good to all. Jesus went about doing good and healing. All that were oppressed of the devil. So if the Lord is still good that means healing is available to all. And it's all because he's full of compassion. The Lord is good to all and his terrible anger. His divine judgment is over all of his works. No tender mercies. Tender mercies. Tender mercies. There is not one situation, there is not one aspect of your situation that in God's eyes can or would disqualify you from his willingness to heal. Not one. Because his tender mercies are good are over all of his works. Because he's full of compassion. The same compassion that moved Jesus to stretch forth his hand immediately and answer a man's question about God's willingness to heal is still in operation today. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Jesus is still doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. It is without question God's will for you to be well. It's interesting to me how that so many people in the church world are looking to escape sickness and disease. I'm talking about those that are afflicted with it here on the earth. They're looking to escape sickness and disease by going to heaven. Yet Jesus made it abundantly clear that the same will of God in heaven is the will of God here on the earth. You've heard people say, just like I have, if someone fails to receive their healing here, they say, well, they're healed now. Talking about in heaven. Well, they're healed now. Well, it was no more the will of God for them to be free from sickness and disease in heaven than it was God's will for them to be free from sickness and disease here. God wants you well. God wants me well. And he's provided supernatural power for that to be the case. All we have to do is receive it by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you're good to heal all that are oppressed of the devil. We thank you that Jesus shows us your character 
your nature and your will and plan and purpose. Thank you, Father. That because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, we can declare with confidence that by his stripes we are healed. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what the doctor says, and no matter what doubts the devil brings to our minds, we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for doing whatever is necessary by your great compassion to raise us up. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're still in the healing business. Never stop being in the healing business because that's who God the Father is. We worship you, Lord, as our healer, our redeemer. You redeemed us from spiritual death. You redeemed us from poverty. And you redeemed us from sickness and disease. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We magnify you as our healer. Not just our Savior, but as the healer of our bodies. We thank you, Father, that the power of God, the anointing of God by the Holy Ghost himself is at work within us, quickening, making alive, restoring, repairing our bodies. Oh, Father, we thank you just as you cleanse, just as Jesus cleansed the leper to show your willingness and your goodness. We don't know what was necessary and what took place for the sickness and disease to be immediately stopped and arrested and to disappear from his body. But we thank you that that same power is working in us. To effect a healing and a cure in us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord. It's not only your will for us to be healed. You offered your only son to pay the price. For it to be a reality. In Jesus' precious name. The Holy Spirit... We don't require a sign. We believe. We believe your word. And if necessary for us to stand in faith for extended periods of time to receive, we'll do that. But many times in Jesus' ministry, you healed instantly. So instant healings must be a part of God's plan and purpose as well. At least some of the time, instant healings have to be a part of God's will. So we thank you that you're still in the instant healing business. We place a demand on the name of Jesus to do the same works of healing that he did. And although not every healing in Jesus' ministry was instant, we understand that. Many times they were. So we place a demand on that too. In the name of Jesus. Not because we're looking for some 
visible evidence, physical evidence, to prove what we believe. We look for it because people are suffering. We look for it. We look for instant healings to cause people to be restored and set free and delivered from all the work of the devil. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing the work that Jesus said you would do. In Jesus' precious name. The name that provides the same works to be done as he did when he was here on the earth. Lord Jesus, even as I prayed thousands of times, heal my people. We believe we receive. Now you raise them up. In Jesus' name. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We magnify your holiness. We magnify the great name, the name that's above every name. Thank you, Lord, that we can say just as Jesus said, he that sees us has seen the Father. Because of your work, being made manifest. Your power made manifest for all to see. Hallelujah. 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 Say it with me. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I am healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a sweet presence of God in this place. Just let the Holy Ghost minister to you. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. We trust you. We stand upon your word.
Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. He's good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's been good to be together. It's always good to be in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. <laughs>